0: The AMA Moving Medicine podcast highlights innovation and emerging issues that impact physicians and patients today. I'm your host, Todd Unger, Chief Experience Officer at the AMA. Hello, this is the American Medical Association's Moving Medicine video and podcast. Today, we're talking with Dr. L.J. Tan, Chief Policy and Partnerships Officer at the Immunization Action Coalition in St. Paul, Minnesota about the importance of staying up to date on adult immunizations and how physicians can help. Dr. Tan, who has a PhD in microbiology and immunology is also the co-chair of the National Adult Immunization Summit and the National Influenza Vaccine Summit. I'm Todd Unger, AMA's Chief Experience Officer in Chicago. Dr. Tan, it's been uh, a while since we saw you. Welcome back to the update. Uh, Your organization, together with others, has issued a call to action to increase vaccine coverage among adults, you know, can you tell us more about this call to action and, you know, who's it targeted for? Are we, you know, down to kind of a, you know, for lack of better words, recalcitrant population? Are there still people out there that we can move?
1: Great question, Todd. And again, thank you to the American Medical Association for this opportunity. Now, as, as someone who used to work there, I, I, AMA remains very close and dear to my heart. So again, thanks for the opportunity to come back. And I, I wanna also thank the the, the summit, the, the group that the partners that came together with a working group to co- create this call to action. And, and I wanna also thank the Centers for Disease Control for signing on and supporting this call to action. And if you go and look at the call to action webpage, uh, an AMA has supported this as well, so thank you. Uh, you'll see a link to the CDC's uh, supporting materials for this call to action. So we're really not just calling to action, we're also providing a lot of tools to help uh, providers and physicians and actually implement this call to action. So So, so what does the uh
0: call to action mean?
1: Yeah, so so I think what has happened, and you pointed this out, you know, you mentioned the word of the recalcitrant population. Our challenge with adult vaccines, even before COVID-19, um, was not necessarily recalcitrants, but Actually, ignorance and, and, uh, and the fact that adult immunizations, while recommended uh, for many, many adults, uh, many, many patients, and indeed many uh, physicians, many clinicians remained unaware, um, blissfully maybe, that there were recommendations that they could deliver to get people protected, adults protected against these, these vaccine-preventable diseases. And so it's not so much recalcitrant, but just a lack of awareness, a lack of knowledge. And when you couple that with the fact that adults don't have the pediatric well-care model with kids, right? We go, okay, they go in at two months, they go in at four months, they go in at six months. And at every one of these well-care visits, there's immunizations that are considered and, and you know assessed and given as necessary. We don't have that well-care model for adults. You know, adults generally work on that acute care. You go in when something happens. You don't feel well, you you know, and and as a result, um, the the vaccines get lost in the shuffle of dealing with all these other things. And even when someone comes in for a preventive care visit, uh, if you remember back in 2008, and we talked about the Affordable Care Act and all the benefits that came with that, you know, there's a, a whole bunch of preventive uh, interventions that, that the physician needs to think about. So by the time they get down to the bottom of the list, you know they've spent 45 minutes talking about prevention for all these things such as obesity, smoking cessation, mental wellness. By the time they get to the bottom of the list, they ran out of time to talk about these vaccines that are also recommended. So I think those are the factors that have led to these poor adult immunization coverage rates, despite recommendations from the CDC that have been around for several years, and So not so much recalcitrance, Todd, but more this idea that we now need to figure out how to drive this message home again. And this call to action is specifically to physicians and other clinicians, other providers of care to adults, because the physician recommendation is one of the prime reasons an adult will actually get vaccinated. When a physician says, I strongly recommend the flu vaccine, it will protect you against these these conditions, please get it, patients end up getting mm. it. So this call to action is specifically to say, hey, you need to do this. And then it gives obviously a lot of the background and the and, and, and the ways of doing it.
0: It's interesting because I mean you mentioned there's a different kind of wellness model. I mean it's well known that you know in adulthood it is kind of more acute care. And uh, I'm very grateful, for instance, I wanted in to see my primary care physician about hypertension. Uh, and in that conversation, he did see, uh, however, you know, it showed up in the HR or whatever that it was time for, uh, a tennis, uh, uh, you know, shot for me. And thank goodness I did that. Cause like two weeks later I tripped on a nail and thank goodness oh. I was covered for that. So, um, wow. you know, that is a, you know, is that like a systematic change you met, You mentioned it's kind of like down at the bottom in the list. I mean, mm-hmm. is that something that the physician is being prompted on, uh, as part of, you know, a, a visit when someone's in there, there's, kind of a lot to ask, no?
1: Yes, yes. So I think, I think we're trying to routinize and, and make it part of the sy- system bit more uh, for adults so that a lot of this work can be taken off the hands of the physician if necessary. So for example, using electronic medical records and what we call standing orders, um, we can actually provide the v- vaccine to an adult um, even if the physician hasn't seen the adult and of course if the if the patient says oh i really have some questions the physician can then step in but but the situation that you've talked about can even go out of the hands of the physician where the physician actually signs off on a standing order and standing orders aren't new. We, we've used them for a long, long time. And what we're saying now is the physician can sign off on a standing order. Uh, when that prompt comes off, the nurse in the clinician's practice, the physician's practice, can actually now give the vaccine. And of course, again, as I said, if the patient says, I have a question, then the physician steps in. So it essentially tries to make the process a little more efficient. And I, there's a lot of information out there on this, and I think uh, I think you know I think one of the things I just want to draw attention to is this call this call to action asks physicians to abide by actually a standard of care. Uh, it's called the uh, Standards for Adult Immunization Practice, and it was issued by the National Vaccine Advisory Committee that advises the Department of Health and Human Services. Uh, I think this is one of the reasons why I think CDC was was quick to sign on was because it is based in a lot of data and science that shows that if we want to make a difference in these adult immunization rates, there are four things we have to do as, as physicians have to do. They've got to assess the status of their patient because if you don't know what the patient's status is with vaccination, um, you can't make a recommendation, right? And this is where what you talked about, the electronic medical records, those things come in. Then after you do that, you have to then identify the vaccines. And for you, Todd, he identified you are due for Tdap. So that, and then he clearly recommended it to you. That's why you got it. Because if he didn't recommend it, that the physician didn't recommend it to you, uh, you probably wouldn't even think about getting the vaccine. Then then best of all, if that physician can then offer the vaccine to you right on the spot. By the way, when you step out of, when I step out of here, if you don't have any questions, um, the nurse is gonna come in and give it to you right away. And then finally, they document it, right, documented in the information systems of the state so that when you now go and step on that nail two weeks later and you go into the emergency room, they can immediately look up your record and say, he's had his Tdap, he's good. So, so those are the standards of care for adult immunization practice that this call to action refers to. And sometimes I think in the busy busy physician life, they they kind of, you know, hopefully this call to action will remind them that this is this exists and that they should go
0: look at it. So this sounds uh, really smart and the timing couldn't be better uh, for thinking about it this way, because what, you know, what are the vaccination numbers telling us now?
1: Yeah, so the vaccination numbers back in, you know, in the before pre-COVID levels. Uh, they were already very, very low. We had numbers, and again, this, these are numbers anyone can look up. You know, At least three out of four adults was, were, were missing at least one routinely recommended vaccine. So the, the routinely recommended vaccines, as, as many of your members, physicians will know, flu, pneumococcal, uh, shingles, uh, uh, Tdap, uh, those, are, those are routinely recommended, and at least three uh, out of every four was missing at least one of those. Uh, and, then, and And as a result of that, what we know is that when we don't do everyone well, the people that really fall through the cracks, and we've been talking a lot about equity, are the racial and ethnic disparities. So racial and ethnic disparities in adult vaccination coverage have been prevalent and have continued to widen for some vaccines over the past few years. And then, of course, when you take these low levels for the racial and ethnic minorities, the low levels in general, and then you put on top of that COVID when people didn't come in anymore. So physicians didn't even get a chance to talk to their patients. So as a result of covid those coverage rates dropped even more.
0: So Can these are already uh, low rates. I'm sorry. Could you give us some you know, specifics? Give me an example of that kind of disparity. Where do, where do we see that?
1: So, so let's start with shingles. In 2019, about 29% of non-Hispanic white, um, white U.S. adults 50 and older had received the shingles vaccination. Now remember the recommendation that comes from CDC and the ACIP is that Everyone 50 years of age and older should receive shingles vaccination. But again, as I said, 29% of non-Hispanic whites. So this, this is really, really low. But if you then look at the disparities, only 18% of non-Hispanic blacks and only 15% of Hispanic adults have, been, have received shingles. So dramatically lower than the white levels, Right.
0: So it's low to begin, kind of low to begin with, given and then it, you know, yes, and and you're and then talking disparities about rewards. disparities even on the on on the other side of that. That's terrible because unfortunately uh, one of that twenty nine percent because I've seen friends with shingles. I know what the uh, the pain associated with that is, and a lot of these you know illnesses are are severe uh, and, and preventable.
1: And, and, and exactly, and and even if you look at shingles and say, hey. You know, most people don't die from shingles, which is absolutely true. There are, there are complications from shingles, such as post-hepatic neuralgia, which leads to chronic debilitating pain um, that, that totally destroys quality of life for the patient. And I think those are things that are, are sometimes we forget with adults. You know, often when you talk to someone who is an older adult, when you talk to them about flu vaccine, for example, you know, a lot of them aren't as worried about morbidity as they are, sorry, mortality as they are about morbidity, right? A lot of the folks, older folks will ask me and they'll say, hey, I, you know, LJ, you know, I, I've lived a long life, you know, I'm not really that worried about death, but I, but I right now have, have quality of life. I cook for myself. I'm in an assisted living facility. I see my grandchildren. I, I love hopping onto that shuttle bus that takes me to Walgreens and I, or, or, or takes me to a pharmacy and I get to do my little shopping there. I love that. But, you know, what I'll tell them is that if you catch flu and you don't have vaccine in you, you're not vaccinated, uh, that quality of life could go away. You could lose mobility. You could be, end up being bedridden. You could end up needing a walker. And, and I think sometimes we lose track of this quality of life issue that adult vaccines protect us against as well
0: curated from more than 3000 major newspapers, magazines, and journals. The AMA Morning Rounds newsletter delivers the top stories in healthcare right to your inbox Monday through Friday. Subscribe today and check out all the AMA's free newsletters at ama-assn.org/myinbox. That's ama-assn.org/myinbox. Do you think that's, uh, you know, just people don't have familiarity with like what shingles are and what they can cause or, you know, the impact of the flu or tetanus and, and the risk that you're taking essentially by not thinking about these things. I mean, do you think that that's where the deficit is here? It's just on the and the patient understanding
1: absolutely i think as we mentioned and talked about earlier Todd i think awareness of the patient for some of these vaccines that are recommended for them is poor flu may be the only one out there where patients generally say yeah i think i'm supposed to get that flu vaccine right uh, but but for the others it's very the awareness is not is, is poor and part of that awareness is exactly what you said it's it's also a lack of awareness of how severe some of these complications from these diseases can be right uh, and i think i think that's incumbent on us as advocates for immunizations for adults to increase that awareness of not just the vaccines, but the severity of the vaccine-preventable diseases. So I think you're absolutely right.
0: Now, you mentioned also, you know, this was a problem before COVID came along, and then boom, we're in the middle of a pandemic. This is having pretty significant impact now uh, on immunizations. Can you just give us uh, a little bit of detail on that?
1: Yeah, so I so so the the unfortunately we don't have the actual data on that yet in terms of how much is impacted. What we do have are data that's come from us from some of our partners at the summit, like some of our manufacturing partners who have been tracking things like, you know, vaccines distributed. And what we do know is that there is a uh, there has been there was a dramatic decline In vaccines that were being ordered as measured by claims data and by vaccines that were being distributed as measured by the distribution data from the manufacturers during covid and what we do know is that in this last few months uh, obviously prior to delta we have been seeing these increases back in the adult immunization coverage rates but the challenge is that if we have a deficit in order to cover all the people who missed vaccines and catch them back up we can't just return To where we were in the past, right? Todd, we've got to go above it to catch up all these other people. And unfortunately, we're not even returning to the, to previous levels before COVID. We're just getting, we're slowly getting there. We're not even returning there yet, let alone getting above it so that we can catch up all these people who have missed it. So that's what we do know. And, and I think CDC will, will, is monitoring this and hopefully we'll have some actual data from some of our traditional surveillance systems that will, that will continue to support our efforts in doing this.
0: So we're in major catch-up mode uh, and we know, uh, you know, people look to and trust their physicians. You've outlined a bit of a multi-step process. Can you give us some more practical guidance for physicians to help us rectify the situation?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So so obviously increasing the patient awareness, which we just talked about. So patients and physicians now have all these portals, put this information out there so patients can be aware of it. And as part of that, when a patient's about to come in, you need to use those immunization information systems to assess their needs. And let's say you find out that Todd needs a Tdap vaccine before he you come in, maybe your physician can send to you through the patient portal, a little fact sheet about tetanus, diphtheria and whooping cough and why you need the vaccine, right? So, so that's two strategies right there, using the immunization information system to assess needs and then using uh, that information to increase patient awareness. And then what we have found kind of like is known in, air, in, in the airplane aircraft industry and what is known in the health system healthcare system industry is that if we implement system-based interventions, like what you've mentioned before, right? You come in, your electronic medical records pings up and says you are due for, if we incorporate those reminders, we call them provider reminders, right, into the electronic health records, that is a wonderful way, as an example, of improving those immunization assessments and actually giving of vaccines as well. So there's all this effort that we can do. And the final one, uh, before I you know, stop, is we also want to make sure that uh, we, we p- continue to provide access to vaccination services uh, for these. And we know that has been a challenge. We were exposed with the COVID-19. So my message is now that we've got COVID-19 kind of under the belt, we know how to give COVID-19 vaccines. What we need to be saying is we, hey, you got your COVID-19 vaccine. You're not done yet. Let me give you, and then you can list all the vaccines you've assessed for.
0: Oh boy, we do have a challenge. Um, you know, if we don't correct this and we're on the trajectory that we're on right now, you know, what? What's the outcome that we would expect to see?
1: Yeah, so, you know, I, without having to go into numbers, right, we, we know that the, you know, the, the average, you hear this bounced around all the time, you know, every year uh, before COVID, so this does not include COVID numbers, you know, about 50,000 adults pass away from a vaccine-preventable disease. That's annually. Uh, and then we know hundreds of thousands get hospitalized because of an adult vaccine-preventable disease. That's annually. So if that kind of morbidity and mortality doesn't scare you, uh, and this was, this was before COVID, you know, before all this loss in coverage that we just talked about, Todd. If that's not enough, right? Then you think about what that means in terms of cost to the healthcare system. And there, there are now th- two or three good papers out there that look at the cost of the healthcare system when we do not vaccinate uh, and we allow these vaccine-preventable diseases to persist. And the cost of the healthcare systems runs in the 10 of billions of dollars annually. So... Morbidity, mortality, healthcare costs—all of them are already present and will continue to get worse if we do not turn this boat around.
0: You know, given—I mean, that, given the size of that number—you know, shouldn't we be spending a lot more? And I'll just call it, for lack of better words, on marketing. Uh, it seems like there are a lot of voices out there that are talking about uh, vaccinations, but the deficit in terms of information, the ability to reach. Uh, That patient, you know, given the bombardment of other messages that are coming out there, like, do you see kind of an opportunity for us to like market this better?
1: I think so. Like the whole concept of you got your COVID-19, you're not done yet. I think that's something we can leverage because COVID has helped us uh, in terms of helping the public understand the value of vaccines. I I think that has really helped us. And I think what we need to continue to emphasize is that the value of vaccines are not just for pediatric populations, but they're also for the adult population. So in other words, it's a lifespan uh, value. You know, we need to vaccinate our kids, our adolescents and our adults. So I think we need to leverage that and and use that in our our benefit. But but the truth of the matter is, is that we as public health folks, you know, you heard this, the public health infrastructure is stretched. And so when we have to compete against some of the larger, as you say, marketing messages, Um, vaccinations tend to be the poor stepchild.
0: There's a lot of information out there. Where uh, are resources that physicians should look to uh, about the call to action?
1: Yeah. So the summit that I co-chair with the CDC and HHS has a webpage that's entirely dedicated to the call to action. Uh, It's it's www.izsummitpartners.org forward slash call to action adult musicians. And I think Todd, you're going to put that up for folks to look at what when you go to that site, you'll also be directed to all the other organizations that support that call to action, including the AMA. Uh, and you'll be able to kind of link to their site as well as to that CDC site I mentioned at the very beginning uh, that has a lot of supporting uh, infrastructure documents to help with that call to action.
0: Dr. Tan, thank you so much again. For those uh, physicians out there that are interested in finding out more about the call to action, take a look down at the bottom here for that URL or search for that through Google. Uh, In the meantime, Dr. Tan, thanks so much for being here today. Really appreciate uh, hearing from you as always. Uh, uh, Again, call to action. Please check that out. Uh, In the meantime, everybody out there, please take care and join us for another segment of Moving Medicine uh, soon. I'm Todd Unger, and this has been Moving Medicine, a podcast by the American Medical Association. You can subscribe to Moving Medicine and other great AMA podcasts anywhere you listen to yours or visit ama-assn.org podcasts. Thank you for listening.